The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Joining me now, Trent Green, former NFL quarterback, NFL and CBS analyst. Trent, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's uh, obviously an adjustment that uh, that we're having to make, and uh, we've got a much more full house than what we're accustomed. I have two boys that are in college, and now they're back home. So we went from three to five really quick. So we're trying to, uh, you know, trying to relish these moments as much as we can because it's hard to get us all together. I've actually been thinking about that a lot. Like, I, I mean, and look, the the bigger concern around the country is, of course, with um, everybody who is, you know, is sick and trying to get better and, and maintaining all that. I am curious, though, like, what it would be like for uh, if you were in college and you had to leave college and come and live with your parents and go back <laughs> home. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I mean, it's not the ideal age, right? I mean, how are they handling it? How, how, is, how is everything at home? I feel like, if, you know, you finally get the kids out and then they come right back to you. Well, I think it's a bigger adjustment on them because they're used to much more independence coming and going when they want and, uh, you know, not having to account for anybody or, or check in with anybody. And, uh, and it's not like they can really go anywhere. So they're, they're, they're kind of stuck here. Um, but uh, yeah, it has been an adjustment. Obviously taking all their classes uh, online. Um, they both play football. So they're doing their football meetings and everything. Spring ball was canceled. So they're doing a lot of, a lot of their meetings. I know the NFL just came out with their, uh, with their notice yesterday saying how, how the off season is going to be handled in terms of meetings and how many hours a day and how often they can do them and those kinds of things. Well, that's been in place. The NCAA did that uh, for college sports as well. So how they're handling their, their meetings and, uh, and cl- uh, class load and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's been an adjustment for all of us. Just kind of getting back used to everybody being in the house again. Yeah. I, I mentioned it to my dad on a zoom call with him the other day. He's like, nah, Nah, it's like you, you have to go rent an apartment. So like, it's, you're not, you're not living with me. I, I do think though that like, like I'd be curious to see if the, the national grade point average actually skews higher now, because if you are stuck at home and you are having to like, like there's no distractions of well, whatever may uh, lie, lie away at college, you know? You know, and, and that's an interesting point because we've had those conversations with our boys and I think it's up to each individual university. Some, some are maintaining the same grading scale as they always do. Uh, some have said that it's only going to be pass fail. You, it's, we're just going to, it's not going to affect your grade point average because we don't know one way or another. This isn't the ideal way to teach. So from this point on, it's pass fail until we get this all figured out. And then, uh, one of my other boys, it's set up to where you go ahead and you, you, uh, it's normal classes, normal grade system. Then when you get done because of what's happened, they're going to let you pick after your grades are done whether you want to take it as a as a grade or if you want to take it as a pass fail. Wow! So that's this has affected you enough to where it's going to uh, end up having an impact on your grade point average. You take it as a pass fail. If it's something that can in turn help you, then you take it as a grade. So I mean, every university is kind of finding their own little way they uh, that they want to handle it. That's interesting too, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. It's I think to to get there on why they would do it, you kind of have to put, like. 
obviously your, you know, your boys are blessed to, you know, li- they can come home to a nice home. You know, you, what you did for a living allows them to have a, a right. good landing spot when they return home. And not everybody, you know, not everybody, I, I, I've been fortunate enough of that too. My parents would have room for me and my brother. Not everybody has that. And, you know, even going home from college might be a step down in terms of what you have well, to, to work. Well, and I think some of it has to do with the fact how, you know, how many of your students don't have access to internet. For sure. Uh, you know, we take it for granted because this is our normal life. But, I mean, there's a lot of students, and I think that's why the universities are handling this because they don't just want to assume that everybody has easy access to Wi-Fi or whatever it may be. They, You know, they can't go down the street to Starbucks and, and use the free Wi-Fi where they normally would go do it. You know, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a different set of circumstances for sure. Yeah, it's wild. And I know, so uh, I believe TJ was granted an uh, extra year of eligibility at yep. Northwestern, right? So what I'm, I, I'm just – interested in i don't know if the ncaa has even thought about it that far ahead you know we don't know what's going to happen with fall sports we just can't i feel maybe more optimistic right now than it would have been in the past but have there been have you heard any discussions about what will happen with potential additional eligibility or anything like that yeah so tj was granted a sixth year so he's excited about it it's it's been a long process the surgery that he had and and his foot recovery and those kinds of things and this has been difficult for him because instead of being with his trainers and doctors and being able to go through regular rehab. The fortunate thing for him uh, is he's far enough along in his rehab to where, um, you know, important, but there's stuff that we can do here at the house when he's with me. Unfortunately, I've been through a lot of different rehabs. So I know the, I know some of the different protocols and how to handle all that, when to push it, when not to push it. So, um, so he's handling all that well, but as far as your, your question in, in terms of the season and, um, there's really nobody really knows, you know. It, it, you listen to some coaches, you know. Mike Mike Gundy wants to get back to work May first. I mean, he's, you know, it's, he took a lot of heat for it. But I mean, I think uh, you know, you look at some of the. I think Ohio State came out and said, uh, and maybe even Alabama, they came out and said, "Listen, we're not doing anything in the summer. You guys will report uh, when when training camp opens, whenever that may be. Training camp will be the first time we see you. Uh, other schools are using like July first or August for whatever it may be, but." Every school's kind of taking their own stance until the NCAA comes out and decides. Yeah, Mike Gundy had one of those. Uh, those are, like when I tell my wife I'm sorry, she's upset. She's like, "That's not an apology. Like, <laughs> right? Like, you're not sorry for what you did. You're just sorry I'm mad at you." It's like, yeah, that's that's a that's the apology Mike Gundy gave. All right, well, uh, so coming up on CBS Sports Network from Thursday, April 16th through Wednesday, April 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern till midnight each night. Uh, we at CBS Sports Network, I guess we counts. I'm on there sometimes. We'll help cure your sports nostalgia. We're going to tune in for classic NFL games on the CBS Sports app or cbssports.com by logging in to your provider. So Trent and I are going to walk through some uh, some classics, both recent and a little bit older, um, and, and just sort of, Maybe look at the the quarterback and 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 how the situ the quarterbacks and how the situations relate uh, to what we could see in 2020 when hopefully football is played. Uh, we'll start with week four, week four of 2019. Uh, that is at 10 p.m. Eastern, Thursday, April 16th on CBS Sports Network. Browns 40, Ravens 25. I mean, it, it is hard with the benefit of hindsight, Trent, to yeah. go back and remember that the Cleveland Browns thumped the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, the Browns tailed off after that and the, the Ravens won 12 straight. Uh, do you think Lamar Jackson figured something out in the game, in that game? Do you think Greg Roman figured something out? Um, what, what about losing a game like that allowed the Ravens to sort of come together and go off in that great run? Well, I, I think they did. I think they, they figured some things out offensively and Lamar Jackson became the Lamar Jackson that, you know, ends up having an MVP season and, and, 
But I think the biggest thing that they that, that Cleveland was able to do in that game was run the football. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say Chubb had around 165 yards rushing and three oh, yeah, touchdowns. Because he had that one long, the one where Baker was doing oh, yeah, the yeah. chase after it. 80-some yard touchdown run. So it, it's, uh, uh, you know, finding a way to run the football. After that game, Baltimore didn't, didn't let people run the ball. The next time someone ran was, was Henry in the, uh, in the playoff game that they lost. So, right, that's right. Um, you know, I, really there was a formula there, and, and Baltimore, their defense really shored up after that game. Yes, Baker ended up with over 300 yards passing, but it was Chubb and that, the way they ran the football, that really had the biggest impact on that. And uh, who would have thought that Baltimore was going to turn it around the way they did and become the one seed? But uh, what a great turnaround for them. A couple of young quarterbacks, um, you know, that uh, – you know, everybody had high – after that game, everybody had really high expectations – still had high expectations for what Baker Mayfield was going to turn into in year two, and it, it didn't come together. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, this changing coaching staff and, and really for him how he grows into a quarterback this season. How would you – all right, let's assume that Ben Roethlisberger uh, is, not, uh, is not moving to the mountains – <laughs> and, and taking his, I, I can't, I can't criticize a guy who's in quarantine and growing a beard either. Like I, right. I stopped shaving. My wife is, 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 is bothered by it and waiting <laughs> for this to open up so she could force me to shave. But, um, assuming Ben is healthy and assuming that the Bengals do take Joe Burrow first overall, uh, on in next, in next Thursday's draft, um, how would you slot out the quarterbacks in the AFC North between Joe Burrow? Uh, Big Ben, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson, because it's a, it's a fascinating group that's very – it, if, you, if you've done it after year one, it might be taking Baker. And now I think right. that's a lot tougher question. Well, I, th- I think if, if you're looking for me to rank them, I think right now you have to go with the MVP number one. Yep. So I think you have to go with Lamar number one. And, and Ben has enough, uh, enough street cred that, <laughs> uh, that I would think you'd have to put him at number two, even though he missed a, a big chunk of the season with that injury. And then – um, Baker, you'd have to put it three and, and, uh, Burrow, you'd have to put it four until, until he comes in and can prove it. it that's a hard, that's a hard thing for a rookie to come in. And I, I know the rookies have done it. There have been a lot that have uh, come in and had success, but there have been definitely a lot more that have come in and struggled early on in their careers. Yeah. We, I, for whatever reason, we went through this stretch of time where, and maybe it's how RG3 played in, yeah. um, in that scheme his first year and Andrew Luck just making easy ascension and Russell Wilson stepping up early on. We, we sort of started blindly assuming that these rookie quarterbacks were going to be good out of the box. And it's, it's just not the case. And a lot of times, you know, it takes finding a certain spot and, um, finding a certain coaching staff to really unlock right. your best abilities, right? Well, and I think some of it started with that, uh, that, that class of, uh, Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan, yeah. you know, they come in as rookies. They make the play. They make the playoffs like their first four years, right? They're, they're just, they're Flacco, just. Honest. Flacco beat New England this rookie year in the. I mean, it beat New England. He threw the right. times, but I mean, he, he still beat the Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the playoffs this rookie year. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, so I think people did. They got they got a little uh, ahead of themselves, thinking rookies could just come in and easily do it. They don't. They forgot about the struggles. You know, Peyton Manning had his rookie year, or yep. Troy Aikman had his rookie year. I mean, some of these. You know, Hall of Fame type quarterbacks, uh, you know, they struggle when you get in there. It's, it's, a, it's a different game, different speed. And I know the game, the game is different now. It's, it's kind of, you know, turning a little bit more towards the college game. So some of these guys can come in and transition, uh, pretty well. I think Patrick Mahomes has proved that, but he did sit out a year, um, you know, and back up Alex Smith to kind of learn the system, learn what Andy Reid 
uh, wants to do and likes to do. And, and uh, so he benefited from that year on the bench. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for the segue. I was going to do it, but you did it for me. Uh, the next two games we're going to clump together. Uh, Saturday, April 18th at 8 p.m. will be the uh, the re-airing of the Chiefs-Texans game. You do not want to miss that. That's one of the most enjoyable games I've ever watched. Is it the playoff uh, game or the regular yeah, season Yeah, the game. playoff game, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Wednesday, April 22nd at 10 p.m., will be the conference championship game between the Chiefs and Titans. Also a fun game. Not quite as – like – it was it was gonna be really really hard, Trent, for anything to live up to Chiefs Texans because that I, I mean like a the atmosphere, b yeah. the comeback, I, just all of it together, just a wild scene in Arrowhead. You know, it's uh, it was one of those um, after that happened, you start thinking like, oh no, this this could be the year when you when you start having comebacks like that. Um, you know, they they they'd had some comebacks, but a historical type of comeback like that uh, against the Houston team that was doing everything right. Uh, in the first half, uh, it was, uh, it was really surprising. And I know, I know Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson and those guys, uh, they still got to be thinking about it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a heck of a turnaround by the Chiefs and, and Mahomes turned things on and got that offense rolling. You played in some really, really good offenses in both in uh, St. Louis and in Kansas City. Have you ever seen anything like the, the quick strike ability of Mahomes in this, in this Andy Reid offense? Cause I mean, like it was 24 nothing. And, right. like, and like, and then before halftime, you're like, the, the spread in this game was, and was 10, was, uh, I believe double digits. And so the belief was the Chiefs would win handily. And, you know, when you're down 24 nothing, you're like, okay, if they win, it'll be a very close game. By halftime, you're like, they're going to win by 20 points. And they right. did. They won by exactly 20 points. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, no. The, t- the turnaround that happened, I, and I actually, uh, uh, called that game for radio for Westwood once. Okay. So I, 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 I thought I, you had that. I wasn't 100%. Yeah, I, I had the excitement of being a part of it. And, and, um, I think I got to halftime and, and my voice, I was already caught. There was so much that second quarter was so explosive. And it was like, what, what did we just see here? What, how in the world can the second half top this? It was, uh, it was impressive. Um, so to compare the different, the different teams, um, for me, I, I don't know if we were that explosive offensively. We relied so much on the run game here in Kansas City as, yeah. as far as with Priest Holmes. And, yes, we had Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer, and, and uh, we had a good uh, a good receiving core, Eddie Kinnison and, and Dante Hall, um, Johnny Morton. I mean, we had some good pieces. But the only thing you're asking me to compare, the only thing I could possibly compare it to was that Rams team. When you consider, you know, Isaac Bruce going in the Hall of Fame, Torrey Holt, will end up going in the Hall of Fame. You had Ozzie Keem and Ricky Prohl, uh, Marshall Falk in the backfield. Kurt Warner obviously was MVP in, in several of those seasons. So as far as that quick strike ability and the ability to put on points very quickly, that would be the only one that, that jumps to mind for me. Yeah, and I think that's a good comparison too because you, you like Azakim does go underrated in like right. in what and the, the, his speed was ridiculous for the yeah. like that element that you just had to watch out for. Um, and yeah, I mean like you know a lot of I mean Ricky Prohl eating it up underneath Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce, some of the best route runners to ever play the game. I think both underrated. I, and I agree with you, Tory should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, well, this Chiefs uh, this Chiefs team currently though is it is literally a track team. I mean, I, I try. You know, Sammy Watkins runs a four four, and he's like the third or fourth fastest guy on the team. It's like you know, I, I had him in a production meeting last year, and I was laughing with him. I said, "Listen, you were the state champ in high school in the two hundred meters. Yet on this team, you this team, you may not even make the four by one. You may, <laughs> it's like it's like he's like." 
he even laughed about it. He said, when we're doing our sprints and conditioning in the offseason and you have McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill, and he goes, they're just like toying with me. He goes, I'm not used to that because that was, that was a pride thing. You know, it was, uh, you know, Sammy so, Watkins is their possession receiver. Like, right. What, what is happening here? Um, well, do you remember the, uh, the play that Damian Williams had during the season where he had the long Tyreek run? Chase him down. Yeah. Tyreek yeah. is like 15 yards behind him and like catches him by the time they get to like the 10. Yeah. Tyreek is uh, like across the goal line before, before Damian Williams. It's well, his, funny. his funny comment, Damian Williams after the game, his funny comment was he, he looked at Tyreek. He's like, don't ever embarrass me like that again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Like, is, is Nick right. going to cheetah? What, what, doubling down and looking at that, the conference championship game, uh, with all your connections to Kansas City yeah. and, and, and knowing how, you know, they had, they've had Royals titles, but it doesn't feel like the quite, they didn't feel like quite the same as like the Chiefs pulling it off. Right. And obvious connections to the team as well. Like what sort of, uh, what sort of emotions did you have seeing this, the Super Bowl run unfold the way it did? And, and how do you think it resonated around there? Well, it was emotional, uh, having been with this team for six years and, and, uh, living in the community now, uh, probably the most emotional part for me. Um, you know, the AFC trophy is named the Lamar Hunt trophy. Sure. So I know us as when I was playing our current players, we always talked about that. That was like, we wanted, and at the time, you know, Lamar was, was still alive at that point in time. We thought it would be, it would mean nothing more. And he was battling cancer at the time. And so it was like, it would mean nothing more to us, especially that 2003 season where we went into the playoffs as the two seed. We wanted to be able to have that moment, you know, and, uh, and to not be able to get it done and then to see Norma Hunt up on stage and, uh, and to see her accept the trophy and, and she and Clark Hunt, the rest of the Hunt family. Um, that was, it was emotional for the city, but as a former player, um, it really hit close to home just because I knew how much it meant to the Hunt family, uh, receiving that trophy and then ultimately going back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. Isn't, isn't, that is wild. And I, I don't, I think it speaks just to like how deep the roots of old school football run in Kansas City, but like that the, obviously the Super Bowl means more. It's, it's the Super Bowl. It's the championship, but like right. the AFC, you know, the AFC championship to hold that, the, the hunt trophy. And, uh, Cause I've heard other people say that as well. It, that is, that is fascinating. That's just how deep it runs, um, in KC. What is, uh, let's give us one great memory from your time, like one favorite memory from your time with the Chiefs, if you don't mind, while we're, while we're talking Chiefs. Well, you know, uh, there, there's many, um, you know, Coach Vermeil, uh, he and I were together in 99 with the Rams. And then when, uh, he came out of retirement in 01 and, and uh, convinced Carl Peterson to make the trade to bring me into Kansas City. And so uh, I have so many special memories with him. We had five years together uh, on the sidelines in Kansas City, and, and I'm still close to him now. Um, I've, I've maintained close relationships with a lot of my teammates, especially the ones that live here in town. Um, you know, it was that I, I go back to that 2003 season. It was just a special year. We, you know, we started off 9-0. We ultimately finished 13 and three. We lost the playoff game, the divisional round to Peyton Manning and the Colts and, uh, neither team punted. It was just one of those back and forth kind of duels and, and, uh, or I'm sorry, we didn't punt. I think the Colts punted one time, uh, late in the game, uh, when they had, uh, when they had the lead. And so, uh, but just to, to that was just a very memorable season. If, if you wanted me to pick one moment out of that season, it probably would have been, uh, we were down 17 to Green Bay up at Lambeau. Um, and uh, came back from 17 to tie it, send it to overtime, and then we won it in overtime at Lambeau, um, which was pretty – obviously it's a historical 
uh, place to play and, and obviously a couple of historical teams since they played in Super Bowl one against each other. So, uh, it was, uh, that was, that was a memorable one. And you are correct. There were no punts in that game. Okay. No, no recorded punts. And, and and if you're watching the video with us, you can see, of course, the uh, Trent was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when you guys jumped out to that that perfect start. Uh, let's look at some older games uh, now. Airing on Sunday, April 19th at 8 p.m. Uh, will be the Colts-Patriots 2007 AFC Championship. Um, and then on Monday, April 20th, at 8 p.m. will be the 2004 AFC Championship between the Patriots and the Colts. The Colts won in 07, 38 to 34. I believe that's the famous fourth and two, which Pete Prisco so. believes he coined a, a rude term for, but he didn't. <laughs> it's like nobody, but it's like a dumb term for it, so nobody really respects it. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, Patriots in, in, uh, you know, in 04, uh, the Patriots won 24 to, uh, to 14. I mean, it didn't get much better. And, and I know you played in the same era, so I don't. Yeah. Want to, you know, I hate to ask you to prop up guys you played against. Oh, it, it's, it doesn't get much better than Manning and Brady, does it? It's you know what I was uh, even as a current player. Whenever those two played, you knew it was going to be a battle, and it was just uh, I have so much respect for the game. I tell people all the time, listen, I, I you know I was a fan way before I was a player. I grew up as a fan. I was the little kid, and you know had the helmet and the, the, the little uniform and at halftime, you know, it wasn't like we had a bunch of games. You had your one game on TV and it was, yeah, at halftime you would go outside, I'd go outside with my brother and you try and, you know, emulate the plays that you saw in the first half. And so I was a fan long before I was a player. Um, and I love football and, I, and I'm, I'm enjoying doing the broadcasting. Now I get to be around the game and be involved in the game. And, uh, but getting a chance to watch those historical players. And at the time, you know, as a current player, you have a lot of respect for them. You, you have, you obviously feel good about your game. That's why you're to that point. Um, but I just, I just have so much respect for the game and, and, and watching those two battle. I always enjoyed uh, playing against those two because, you know, even though quarterbacks don't play against each other and when you're interviewed during the week, it's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm not playing Tom Brady or I'm, I'm not playing, playing the defense. No, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just another game. It's, yeah. it's still, you know, the historical value of where those two are in terms of the history of this game. So, um, I, I always enjoyed watching them play. Well, I mean, and look, it, yeah, it is. And that is, that's a great approach to take. Cause you I mean, you could, it's sort of like in, with the, you know, if you played golf when like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson were right. around, like, you know, you, you might like you, it's, it's just unfortunate. Like you're probably not stacking up a bunch of major wins because those two guys were playing. It's just like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I mean, they made it really, really difficult for everybody else for a long period of time. The, you know, the, the, Oh, the 06 one, which was the 2006 season, um, obviously in January 21st of 2007, I, I just think about is, you know, is 38-34 and the fourth and two that Belichick went for because he just understood that he he knew he wasn't going to be able to stop Peyton Manning. And, right. It's like, I can't give him the ball back. He's like, yeah. yeah. And, like, it, it, what's wild about that is, like, now we talk about these fourth down attempts and conversions, like, this fairly commonplace. I mean, that was a big deal back then. I don't know if you, oh, remember, yeah. if you remember it as a, as a player as well. Oh yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, cause immediately you put your coaching hat on. You're like, well, this is crazy. But then you wait and you're like, well, it's Bill Belichick. So he's got a reason for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Peyton Manning over there. So, um, and, and Manning at that time had, they had been moving the ball. So, I mean, it was, uh, even though it, you know, I don't know what the math breaks down to or if anybody's ever done that, but, uh, yeah, but I think. I mean, like, I think mathematically it was proven after the fact. Like at the time, the the knee jerk sports writer reaction too was like, 
how could you do that? You punt, you know, you kick on yeah. fourth. And then it was like, well, you know, the expect, like the, the analytical expected points add, added move was actually smart by Belichick. And you're right. Like the, the, the Colts had scored 32 points, uh, in the second half. Yeah. So you just knew Peyton was dialed in. Wouldn't you have loved it knowing how Belichick conducts his, uh, press game, uh, post game press conferences? If he had walked in and somebody asked him that and he said, because I'm Bill freaking Belichick. That's why I did it. What are you talking about? Bill <laughs> should answer like that one time. Be like, Look, it I, would be awesome for him yeah. to just drop something out of character like that. Like I'm Bill Belichick. That's why. And then drop something. <laughs> and out. Yeah. I mean, he, he could, it is, it is fascinating because if a, if a lesser coach does that. Right. At that point in time. Oh, it's, you know, it, it, it carries with them for the rest of their career. Yeah. I mean, uh, who was the uh, who was the head coach that won the toss in overtime and chose to not take the ball? Uh, and I mean, uh, like, oh, this was like years and years ago. This was back when you only got one chance. He's like, well, I was going to force them to punt, get good field position, go down and score. Well, then the other team they went down. And I, I can't remember who that was, but it was. But, but you know, Jason Garrett almost did it last year. Remember, oh, did he? remember the coin toss? We said we like Dak was supposed to say we defer, and he right. didn't. He just said we want to receive, and they had to change it at halftime because okay. like you have to actually say defer. Yeah, I, I don't know drawing, yeah. I, I'm drawing a blank, but um, the, the other thing too about this game that that I think is really important is like if the Colts don't win that, beat the Patriots in that game, Peyton Manning doesn't get that first Super Bowl, and I, I know it took a while to win the second one, but like the the pressure of not having oh, the, yeah. like can you imagine can you imagine Peyton Manning without a without a, a Super Bowl victory it would be like it'd be Dan Marino two which I, I always think is disappointing because he's such a great player. Yeah, it's uh you know and and I always forget I, I I honestly until you know now in this quarantine I'm watching a lot of stuff uh but I go back I went back and watched that Super Bowl the Colts and Bears yeah um, and you think oh they they you know they they ended up winning and beat the Patriots the game we're talking about uh, but then they go to the Super Bowl and and I'm I didn't remember it being that close. I didn't remember it Peyton being wasn't like that. that. Peyton wasn't that good. Right. Well, it was raining in South Florida. And Hester, Miami. Hester took the uh, – Yeah, he took the opening kick. I was like, yeah, it was, it was a lot different game than what I remember. Absolutely. And it is – it's funny how history does that. Like, you know, the it, this happened quickly with, like, the 2015 Broncos where Peyton Manning – and, he look, he won the Super Bowl. I'm not taking away from him at all. Right. But he was not Peyton Manning that season. Right. And we've already sort of, like – it's like eh, two Super Bowls, you know. But again, he won it. You're not going to take it away from. Well, him. I saw the other Super Bowl, the the first one that he went to with the Broncos or Seattle. You, you watch that Seattle team, and I was like, that Seattle team was incredible. Yes. I mean, that defense was, and and Denver had a good defense at the time. But Seattle's, I mean, it was that was that was a fun game to watch. Also, well, when Cam Chancellor hits Demarius Thomas yeah. on that crossing route early in the first quarter, you're like, oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. This is, uh, they came to play. This is going to yeah. be a problem for the, for the Broncos offense. Um, on Friday, uh, speaking of close games, Friday, April 17th at 10 PM, the 2002 divisional round Patriots over the Raiders in overtime, the infamous tuck rule game. Um, you guys knew the Raiders well because you played them, uh, you played them twice and I think, uh, narrowly lost in both games, 27, 24, 28, 26, weeks one and 13. Was that Raiders? Do the Raiders team, I mean, is this just one of those things where they just ran into Tom Brady in a close game in the snow and Bill Belichick and it's just bad luck? That was a Super Bowl caliber team, right? Oh, it definitely was. And, and then they ultimately went to the Super Bowl right after that. So it was, uh, you know, that was a really good team. And, and, you know, Rich Gannon, uh, was playing at an extremely high level. That defense was playing at a high level. Um, I, 
I think we all knew what the rule was as far as the tuck rule, but to see it implemented and to see it come into play at that important of a time, um, you know, and have as big an impact as it, as it did. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, Benetieri's got to, got to make the kick, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, that was a special game. I, you know, both those, both those teams and, you know, you just, I was a long time chief, so I, I hate to say I feel sorry for the Raiders, but you know. <laughs> I mean, you got to take me. a little bit of heat saying I feel sorry for the Raiders, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, uh, you had, at that point in time, you had to feel bad for them. Well, and isn't it, isn't it wild? Like you think about the butterfly effect of some of these games, because like, you know, if John Gruden oh, right. wins that game and wins a Super Bowl for right. Oakland, you know, he's probably never traded to Tampa Bay. You know, right. like if, if he wins that, like he might still, like he might be coaching Oakland now. It's like, but he never left and went into Monday Night Football. And, you know, obviously, conversely, if, if, you know, if Belichick, um, doesn't win the game and Brady doesn't win the game, uh, you know, maybe their legacy doesn't get kickstarted the way it did. You know, they're, it, I think people sort of sleep on the fact that these, even, you know, you go back in like the, the, the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl with, uh, with, you know, we talk about the Seahawks and that great defense, you know, the, the Malcolm Butler interception. Right. Like launched a secondary dynasty for the Patriots and like, and broke the Seahawks apart. I mean, it, these moments in time are, it, I think people just sleep on how, how important some of these, like the, gets a game of inches and it really does affect the out the longer term outcome sometimes. Well, it's interesting you say that because everybody around Kansas city is talking about how, how the, the chiefs are stacked to have success for, for an extended okay. period of time. And I, and I said, you know, look at the fact that the Patriots, we, we talked about that early, early on when they won the three Super Bowls right away. And then they won, they won three in more recent time. There was a big gap there between, you know, that, that third and fourth. How good were they? They had an undefeated season the one year and win it. So I tried telling people around Kansas City, I said, listen, we've got Patrick Mahomes. we got all these things. I said, it is really, really hard. Although it seemed at times easy uh, with the way the offense played and the defense picked it up here for the Chiefs in the second half of the season or towards the end in the playoffs. But I said, it's hard. I mean, some of the best teams in NFL history never played in the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, you look at uh, two examples I would give to like Dan Marino went to the Super Bowl in his right. second season. It's like, oh, well, you know, he didn't win it, but he'll get back there and he'll, it never went back again. And, and you, you don't, you just don't realize how fleeting that is. And I would point to like the greatest show on turf. I mean, I was in, I was a freshman in college in 1999 and yeah. I mean, we uh, at NC State. So, you know, Tory Holt, uh, you know, we're all, we're huge Rams fans, right? Rooting for him and, and Ricky Pohl's from Greensboro. So we all love Ricky Pohl too. But, um, you know, I think, and I think people don't understand that at that point in time, it was understood that, and I know, you know, Kurt had taken over as the starter, but it was understood that you guys were going to be really good for like five five or ten years it was going to be a dynasty and then one super bowl against the patriots sort of you know throws it out of whack and and it's never the same well it was you know it's uh the crazy thing about that is the 99 season you know the whole 90s right the rams were the losingest team of the 90s then all of a sudden 99 everything goes crazy and then you're like okay they're set for a while because if you think about what was on that defense and people forget how good that defense was. That was a top 10 defense in some categories, a top five defense. So they were able to put pressure on the quarterback. They were able to get turnovers. Uh, it was, it was a heck of a defense. And, and, you know, in 2000, we ended up making it back to the playoffs and, and we get beat by a really good Saints team down in New Orleans. Um, and, and don't, uh, you know, don't move on. So 
it's uh, and then 2001 after I was traded to Kansas City, you know, they went back to the Super Bowl that season, and that's the the beginning of the Patriots dynasty. But yeah, there there's no reason to think that that team was only going to go to two Super Bowls and only win one Super Bowl when you look at how dynamic of a team that was. You've got Isaac Bruce going in the Hall of Fame, Marshall Fox in the Hall of Fame, Kurt Warner's in the Hall of Fame, Orlando Pace is in the Hall of Fame, Torrey Holt one day will be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's like that team, uh, that team was stacked. And, and when you think about it, it's that, that's just how hard it is to get to a Super Bowl and ultimately win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And that, that's what makes the Patriots so special. And you're, you're right about the defense. I like, I had forgotten about it too, but it's like Kevin Carter had 19 sacks, I think, or maybe, uh, was he have 17 or 17 sacks? Um, Grant Wistrom was a monster back in the day. London Fletcher. I mean, London Fletcher oh, yeah. was good. Uh, Todd Light. You had, um, oh, Dre, Dre, there were a lot of North Carolina, yeah. North Carolina guys on this team. That was bizarre. Like, Dre was a rookie that year. Yeah. It was Dre and Todd Light and, uh, Dexter McLeon. Those were the, those were the three guys that, you know, uh, one of them playing nickel. Keith Lyle had a heck of a year that year. Um, yeah, it was, it was impressive. Mike Jones obviously made the tackle. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it was, it was a heck of a defense. It really was. Who am I thinking about that was on the, maybe it was like the 2001 defense? Am I, I mean, the defense was just good. Was the, the defense was just good. Wasn't there, was it Leonard Little or was he Leonard already? Little was on the team. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. loaded on both sides. That's a, it, it, history is always, is kind. Um, but sometimes I think we forget that like, you know, this is a very balanced team. And like, that's part of the other thing for the Chiefs too is, you know, it's difficult even with the expanded salary cap space to guarantee that you can keep you know, like they have good pieces on defense, but they might not be an elite defense next year the way they were in the second half of, of last season. And that, that matters. I mean, that's, that's how they helped them. You know, that's how they won. The well, and, and that's what really puts together, you know, I, I've tried telling that to people around town. I said, you know, number one, you have to stay healthy. You know, if you look at the Chiefs, they, they at one stretch, they had six game stretch where they were two and four. Patrick was hurt. Uh, Chris Jones was hurt. Um, there, um, Hitchens was hurt. I mean, there were a number of players that were hurt during that stretch. So, um, you have to stay healthy. And I said, and then the other thing is you have to find different ways to win. I mean, you can't always rely on, Oh, Patrick's going to make a play and you're going to win. You, you've got to find ways to win. I think that's what's so great. We're talking about New England and, and the Colts. That's what was so great about New England. You know, early on, Tom wasn't Tom. It was mainly a deep game manager team and, and, a, and a running team and, you know, sprinkling some passing here and there. And then, you know, Tom became Tom. And I mean, so finding different ways to win. And, and, you know, we already touched on Peyton Manning, the fact that, you know, his Colts Super Bowl and the way things went there, but then Denver, you know, ultimately getting his second Super Bowl, that was a defensive driven team. And I don't think he's shy about talking about that. Yes. He needed to make some plays. He had Demarius Thomas, but um, yeah, you just got to find ways to find ways to win and get and make it, get it done. Yeah, and, and you, I, I made this point a lot leading up to, and this is, I'm not right about a lot, but I was right. Uh, the final three weeks of the season, I said, I was telling anybody who listened, because it looked like the Chiefs were going to be the three seed, right? I said, yeah. the Chiefs are the, you know, we said on our podcast, like the Chiefs are like six or seven to one to win the Super Bowl. That is the best bet on the board. It's good value. Mahomes is not putting up huge stats, but he's starting to, you can tell his mastery of Andy Reid's offense is, is, is growing exponentially as these games go along. And more importantly, it reminded me of the 06 Colts in that it wasn't a, it didn't look like a great defense, but they were starting to play really well at the right time. And it's similar, like, you know, like they had Bob Sanders, Honey Badger, you know, just a lot of players. And it felt like, like that's, that's just something that doesn't, isn't guaranteed to happen every year. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. The de- the defense was really coming together. I think Steve Spagnuolo came in and he realized that early on. 
He was going to be moving pieces around and trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, they lost Juan Thor- uh, Thornhill, the rookie safety, was having an outstanding season. Sorensen, you know, he's just kind of Mr. Do-Everything in, in that defense, and he really stepped up huge in the playoffs, had several big plays in that game, uh, specifically the, the stop of Houston on the, the big punt attempt. Yep. So, um, Man, you know, he, 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 just, he didn't make that tackle. They might not win oh, that Oh, yeah. 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 That momentum stops at that point in time. You're right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right, we'll get you out of here on this because I, you, we've been doing this for a long time, but this is really enjoyable, um, at least from my end. No, uh, it's fun. It's fun. Get to talk ball. Uh, I know. It's fun to talk ball. The, uh, the Rams-Titans game that you mentioned, the, uh, the, it was the NFC champion. Yeah, NFC championship game, right? My, was it? Rams and Titans? That was Super Bowl 99. Oh, it was a so guy. I, I tell you, yeah, I, I was like, why would the Titans be in the NFC? Right, <laughs> right. right. Edit that out, Diva. I look like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> it was a Super Bowl, yeah. The final play where, yeah, the, I, I got flipped on my years for some reason. No, you're good. Again, we talk about, like, how history, the butterfly effect of everything. Like, Jeff Fisher's, you know, right. never want, you know, his legacy is totally different. The Rams are t- perceived totally different, you know, if, if the ball crosses the goal line. What was sort of the emotions there? I know, I know you weren't starting, but what were the emotions watching all of that unfold, especially given your geographical connection to the team? You know, it's uh... – First of all, it, it was just amazing what Steve McNair was able to do on that that final drive. Yeah. I mean, he escaped so many times and extended plays and kept the drive alive. It was like he was single-handedly, you know, willing his team down the field. And and uh, ultimately, when when that throw goes to to Dyson uh, and Mike Jones has him wrapped up and they're twisting as they go yeah. towards the goal line and it reaches out and it's like. You're waiting to see, okay, did he get in? Did he not get in? All of a sudden, the confetti starts to fall, and you're like, okay, I guess he didn't get in. I, did we won? Did we win? You know, it's like uh, I, I try and remind um, the Tennessee fans and players that like to give me a hard time about that. That touchdown would have only sent it to overtime. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was one of the most the historic You've got to make plays. the kick, too. What's that? you got to make the kick, too. Like you can't That's right. That's right. Uh, but that was one of the most historic tackles, historic plays, historic, historic endings in Super Bowl history to have it come down to that final snap. But I just, uh, um, you know, Isaac, the winning touchdown that he caught on that, it was a go route that Kurt threw in one-on-one coverage. Defender, I can't remember defender's name, was in great position. Isaac jumps over the top of him and reaches out and, and hauls the ball in and then cuts to the inside and is able to get into the end zone to give us the lead at that point in time. Uh, but then when uh, McNair put together, you know, the drive that he did at the end of the game, it, it was just, it was special. Um, as I said, it, I had mixed emotions, uh, obviously growing up in St. Louis, being a part of the team, coming in as the starter, um, you know, there was a lot of expectations, a lot of feelings about it emotionally for me, but, uh, um, you know, but not being able to be out there in that moment, uh, you know, was tough to deal with. But Kurt had a tremendous season, obviously, MVP season, Hall of Fame career, and, and hoisted the trophy and, and did a great job. I have a lot of respect for how he's handled himself through uh, through his entire career and all of his adversity, and and now he's doing a heck of a job at uh, at NFL Network. Well, I mean, you know, and the truth be told, like this, these things don't ha- like you know you were. I mean, I, I remember following the team closely back then. I mean, you were a great teammate about the whole thing. Like they don't they don't win the Super Bowl without you as well. I mean, like I, I, you. I mean. Obviously. Well, thank you. And that, and that, you know, that's why I still value the ring. I value the trophy. Sure. Um, Coach Vermeil made me, made me a part of that team. Uh, I, I go back and, and I think about sitting in the training room 
you know, going through my rehab while that season was unfolding. And obviously it was a record-setting season. And I remember, you know, guys that had been with the team for a long time, the Todd Lights, the Keith Lyles, the DeMarco Fars, the Kevin Carters, uh, guys that would come in uh, just checking on me, Isaac Bruce, um, guys that had been veterans on the team and had been through a lot of those losing years, uh, they made a point uh, on road games before they headed out to the bus. They, they'd weave their way through the training room. They'd stop by, hey, hang in there, keep working, you know, looking forward to you getting back out on the field whenever that may be. So, I mean, they were always giving me words of encouragement. Um, you know, when I, when I got, uh, when I signed there as a free agent, I made, we moved to St. Louis right away. I, I immersed myself into that culture and into that locker room and, and tried to get that culture changed around. So, uh, I felt a part of it and, and I think the guys, um, the guys uh, recognized that and, and made me feel, made me feel good, made me feel wanted, made me feel a part of it throughout the whole course of the season. No, I, absolutely. And look, like you and, you and uh, Coach Vermeil are, you know, linked, linked for, I hope for as much as, you know, as, you know, credit you give him, he sends you some free wine. I hope he, <laughs> he sends you plenty. Hey, it's great wine too. Yes, he I does. Know, it's I know, great I know. Wine. It is good wine. Uh, all right. So everybody make sure and check out all of these fantastic games on CBS Sports Network, Thursday, April 16th through Wednesday, April 22nd, 8 p.m. till midnight Eastern, every single night. we got the classic games on. You can also watch on the CBS Sports app or on cbssports.com. you got to log in with your local provider. Trent Green, thank you so much for all the time. This is a fantastic chat. Uh, and, man, I hope everybody stays safe and uh, healthy, and we'll talk soon, man. You know what? I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, you don't get to talk a lot of ball when you're quarantined at home. I talk with, with my boys about it, uh, but uh, getting – See, you're too young to remember even some of these old games. So. I know. I know. So being able to relive some of this history and uh, getting me excited for the season, hopefully it all this all gets settled real soon. And um, just want to say thank you to all our health care providers and, and what they're doing. Uh, tremendous job trying to keep us all safe and keep us all healthy. So thank you for all that you do. Yeah, thanks to everybody for doing all, all, you know, up to and including people who are working in grocery stores right now. Because, right, definitely. You know, there's, there's a lot of different heroes during this uh, this very bizarre time in our country, and, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks again, Trent. All right, thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.